Hey, it's Jeff McNichol down here at Mom's Music, 1900 Melwood Avenue. I was just thinking, when I was a kid, the magic was at Frankfurt Avenue, the Mom's Music at Frankfurt Avenue, and I used to beg people to get a ride down there just to hang out with the guys and see all the cool gear. Now that I'm the owner of this store, it's like a dream come true. We're recreating the magic with the vibe that we used to have at the old store. We're carrying all the gear that you're going to possibly want. We're giving you the outstanding service and personal attention that you deserve. Yeah, so we've got the great guitar shop here. We're carrying USA Fender, USA Gibson, Paul Reed Smith, Gretsch, Jackson, Charvel, anything you could possibly want. We're going to have it for you. Mom's is and always will be Louisville's music store. Thank you for tuning in to The Metal Forge. I am Mark Jackson, and I am your host. The premise of the show is pretty simple. Awesome interviews and awesome music. If you want to contact me, hit me up at MetalForgeRadio at gmail.com or visit the website, MetalForgeRadio.com. And now, let's get this show on the road. What's going on, Metalheads? Thank you for tuning in to The Metal Forge. I am your host, Mark Jackson. Today on the show, I have, from Toronto, Canada, Possessed Steel. And if you are into epic power metal, fantasy metal, awesome storytelling metal, you are going to love this band because there is nothing like a good band that can go out and create and take you into like another universe, story-wise. This band can do that. Possessed Steel, super fucking cool. They just here recently released the album Adris. I'm going to be playing a few songs from it today, and I think you all should definitely be checking this band out because they're super fucking cool. We'll talk to them here in just a minute. So, I'm going to do the personal thing here. Looking at buying my first house. It's been kind of crazy. The market's a little weird. Uh, things go on the market for day, uh, like a day or two at a time, and if they're really nice, they go bam, super fast put an offer on a house the other day first time ever so if you've ever done that before you know how nerve-wracking it can be and how like you know you feel like that leap of faith moment in the uh, the last crusade from indiana jones that's how i felt felt a little nauseous like oh shit this is a big decision you know suddenly it becomes real and you got to deal with that and it's kind of exciting and kind of like Holy fuck, holy fuck, holy fuck. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, uh, put an offer on a house. Did, did that grown-up metalhead thing where it's like, all right, got to find a place. Got to keep, got to stay permanent. Got to stay somewhere. Because who wants to rent their entire life? I know people do. That's not the issue. But, you know, I want to have a place that I can call my own, I guess, you know. Where I can have an HQ, a Metal Forge HQ, where, you know, I don't have to edit out a dog bark here and there. Maybe a cat meow. The cat's over on the bed sitting, looking at me like, you're a dumbass, you know that? But, yeah, she's awesome. Love that cat. Anyway, <laughs> I digress, as JC would say. It's pretty cool, I'm not going to lie. I, I feel, like, accomplished... I feel like, you know, making a big fucking decision. It's not just like recording and writing a new album. It's something different. It's a different feeling. But anyway, let's get into something else. I mentioned this on the show last week. I'm doing some curating work and some 
rearranging, I guess you could say, at Better Days Records in Louisville, Kentucky. It's 921 Barrett Avenue. New location. Come check them out here in the coming weeks. We're getting some orders in from bands, from record labels, where we're putting in a legit vinyl metal section. You know, it's going to be cool. I'm going to be posting some links on the Metal Forge Facebook page and Instagram pages and linking these guys in there. Ben and David have always taken care of me in there. They're great people. So come, if you're in the area, if you're passing through the area, please come check them out. Like I said, it's not going to be within the next uh, week or so, but it's going to be soon. Maybe within the next two weeks, whenever we get the order in. It's going to hit the shelves. This shit's going to go through. It's going to fly. Again, Better Days Records, 921 Barrett Avenue. I'm super excited over that. New vinyl metal section. Keeping the bands that are relevant today. Not just the Metallicas and the Megadeths and the Anthraxes. Not just those bands, but the Haunts, the Beastmakers, the Soul Grinders, the Bewitchers, the Silver Talons, the Sabres. All those fucking awesome fucking bands. And if you, that's all right, you right now that's listening to this show, you have a 7-inch vinyl, 10-inch, 12-inch, you let me know. I want to put it in the store. I want to put you out there. I want to turn more people onto your music. So hit me up, metalforgeradio at gmail.com. Shoot a message to the Facebook page, the Instagram page, the TikTok page. I don't care. Send me a message. If you have vinyl, I want it. I want to put it in the store. All we can do is talk about it. So anyway, also, thank you out there to Mom's Music, Maxwell's House of Music, The Wrestling Steve Show, Tattoo Charlie's, Kentucky Hot Brown Pedal Boards and uh, Kenny and Tony Marine's various business ventures. Super fucking cool people. You know, call the music stores. You know, go online. Go to the stores if you're in the area or passing through. So, anyway. Alright, this is from the Adris album. From Possessed Steel, which came out back in November. This is Frost Lich. Get it!
right, Metalheads, I'm being joined on the line in Canada again this week from the members of Possessed Steel, where we have the lead singer Talon here with us. And who else do we have? We got Steve here, a guitar player from Possessed Steel. I'm still here as well. I'm Donald. I uh, play bass. Awesome, guys. So how are you all doing today? Doing great. So, you know, milking it for what we can. And uh, we got to clean the place, which isn't too alluring or very rock and roll. But <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> other, yeah. than, other than that, it's been a, it's been a pretty good January so far. Awesome. Yeah, you got to clean the place because the, the actual homeowners are going to come home tomorrow and they're going to be like, what the fuck is this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we trashed the place. That's right. <laughs> right. Because metal and, and rock, right? Because that's what we do. We, <laughs> we we come in and we tear shit up. Yeah, maybe, maybe in my early 20s, man. I'm, I'm getting older now. <laughs> right. Settling down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, everybody grows up, you know. Everybody grows up a little bit. Uh, people get their hair cut. Metallica. Oh, no. that's never happened. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> you know, I had to do that for a job once, and well, twice now in my life, and I'm just like, man, I really want my long hair back. <laughs> it takes so long. I mean, you you got to go through that period of time where your your the hair length sort of reaches the top of your ears, mm-hmm. and then from there until it's below the ear. You are the most undateable, unlovable, <laughs> unfuckable human being on the planet. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh, you just look like a like a hideous chud. <laughs> yeah, it's like some mod or something, like some '60s mod in Britain. Or, <laughs> get the shag going. Oh, oh yeah, that's. I think that's like that's a huge reason why I won't cut my hair is because I know I'm going to want to grow it back, and I'm not going to want to go through that. Through that, that hellish four to six months of just looking ridiculous. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. So tell everybody out there in Metal Forge land about Possessed Steel. Uh, cool. Um, yeah, I, okay. I, you <laughs> know, take it away, Steve. Take it away. Steve, Steve, you take it, dude. You take it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think it's important to mention like the band uh, Possessed Steel, it, um, it started out in 2010. And of the three that are on the, on the air today, Talon was the only one that was in that original lineup, and he's the only one that's been with the band since the start of uh, Possessed Steel. Um, now, Don joined the ranks before myself and the drummer. Um, that was in 2015 when Rich and myself joined the band. And Don, I think you you were in there around, what, 2013 or so? Oh, God, it must have been probably at least two years, I would say. It's hard to, to pin down. I think me and Talon at one point figured out exactly when it was, but now I'm just like, it was a couple years before you guys came. I think 2015. 20- 13 probably 2013 sounded about right yeah um, maybe maybe it was earlier i don't know yeah it's been a while it's been it feels like don's been around since the inception yeah don don is a legacy man for sure yeah <laughs> right on right on yeah i also look up a lot of things here on like metal archives and and such and it says that that you'd announced the split in 2014 but reformed uh, just about a year later then once we got back together, that's when basically all four of us are. Then the, then the final lineup, as I see it, sort of started, you know? Right on, right on. And it looks like here you all have got a few EPs and then earlier, well, I say earlier this year, you know, this is 2021 now, but uh, back around November, you all released Adris, the, the, the full length. Yep, you got it. Yeah, it was, uh, that was basically, that was a long time coming. And we just sort of like we we wrote a few songs, some of them we actually never even played, like or we never put on the album. I don't know, was it one or two songs that I feel like there was a couple? Uh, there was a couple throwaway tracks where you know even after 
it's sort of one of the things that you, you can run into this when you're kind of eclectic as a band and you're pulling a lot of influences. Sometimes you'll put something together and you'll take a good hard look at that song and realize that you strayed a little too far from really what we're trying to say and, and trying to sound like. Uh, so that happened. That happened a couple of times, but. I feel like generally the when you when you look at Adris as a whole, you got a couple of songs that have been floating around for a while. Um, they had, you know, they they even had lyrical content that really wasn't tied into the the concept of Adris. Uh, but once you know Talon kind of arrived at the idea of putting everything together as a concept album, that's when we you know sat down, linked all the tracks together, pulled it all into one narrative. Right on. And it looks like here you've got a couple of instrumental tracks on there as well, like with the Dreamer and uh, Forest of the Dead, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool because I, I think that's something that goes overlooked in a lot of modern metal, whether it be you know thrash, fantasy metal, uh, power metal, black thrash, any. Uh, even with uh, like death and stuff like that, is the instrumental track. It, it kind it's of a good. It's a really good point. It's it's something you don't see a whole lot of, and you know, it's not like it's something that's completely foreign to metal. When you think about uh, even some of the earlier Metallica records, they had instrumental tracks, and those are some of the best goddamn tracks they ever made. Right, which yeah. I always thought was pretty cool because Jason intended My Friend of Misery to be the instrumental track on the Black Album, but they were like, no, we're not going to do that this time. I didn't know that. Right. That's, uh, that's very cool. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I think the instrumental track, you know, for it to be harnessed properly, I guess is the way the, the, the term I'd like to use for that, is it has to remain interesting because mm-hmm. there's nothing lyrically to hook on to for, for people. No, it's true. There, there, is a, there is sort of that tendency when you don't, uh, the song structure can meander a little bit because you don't have the, the lyrical kind of thread running through it to tie everything together. Um, and they you know, instrumental tracks can overstay their welcome for sure definitely definitely with that with it being released adris that is being released in november did you all have the concept to do this earlier in the year or was it something that was really kick-started by the pandemic because i've noticed that's a big thing for a lot of musicians over 2020 is they didn't plan to release something but all of a sudden they couldn't play live so that was what they chose to do I no, I think basically we were done the album. Yeah, we were done the album. It feels like at the beginning of the pandemic and all the songs sort of take place in the same universe. So it all sort of is conceptual, but we made the decision a while ago to actually make it one story. And that was long before the pandemic. And actually the pandemic kind of crushed our momentum a little bit, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the intention was to get it out um, earlier than we did, but there was some hesitation because you don't, you know, you don't really want to put out a record and then be in a position where you're completely unable to perform and, and kind of bring it to the masses, so to speak, and play live. Um, but by the same token, it's also a good, it, there's a lot of pros to releasing an album around this time uh, as well. Right. Especially with like I said, like the pandemic, people have went crazy on purchasing and supporting Absolutely. their musician friends. Yeah, it's, because, I was actually super scared, but it turned out to be almost almost a blessing in a way because it was like people just were like eating music up, myself included. And it just seemed that it, there was so much online support. I'm not even sure it would have done that good if this wasn't around. It almost came at a weird time. Oh, absolutely. I can speak for myself of, you know, I've actually spent over the last year, thousands of dollars on music, just, you know, based on Bandcamp alone, not to mention mm-hmm. anything else that, you know, where I've bought physical copies or I was able to, 
once some restrictions in my city had been lifted, be able to go back to the record store and purchase physical copies of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you mentioned Bandcamp because I really, you know, I got to, of all of the services that are kind of out there now as means for musicians and artists to get their, their music out, Bandcamp really, really stands apart. Uh, they did a lot of those Bandcamp Fridays throughout the pandemic last year. And I think, you know, those were really, really good initiatives to get people to buy music. And you need you need time to listen to this stuff, right? Like when you're kind of just going through the day to day and life is normal, it's sometimes hard to find time to sit down and listen to a lot of new music. Um, so yeah, I guess I, there's there's silver linings to everything, and that's that's certainly part of the the case when you look at releasing an album during a pandemic for sure. Oh, absolutely. And one of the cool things that you know, I I've always been a a big supporter of Bandcamp. And now, because it is so readily available for every musician out there, because you can set your own pricing, you can include your merch on the page, you can have a mailing list on the page. It's like a one-stop shop for everything independent. One of the cool things that they're doing now, and this was reported from uh, Rolling Stone earlier, was they're getting into the vinyl market where they're doing press uh, vinyl pressing for bands now it's, it's not a bad natural. not a bad venture to take on i think talon you were the one um, that was telling me that in 2020 that was the first year in, in many many years where vinyl sales exceeded cds yeah it was like in 2020 or 2019 it's vinyl's huge right now there's a massive resurgence of it and it seems like a natural progression for some somebody like Bandcamp because they're sort of like the forerunners of the independent musician and like bands that want to do their own thing, release their own stuff. And it gives them a platform to express themselves and also to just interact with people on like sort of a ground level, I guess. Definitely. Which I know, I know the article, I believe you're, you're speaking about because I'd, I'd skimmed through that as well, uh, where vinyl has had this massive resurgence and was bigger than CDs that year. CDs had, had uh, fallen back in the market and vinyl had surpassed it. But the digital platform was still even more than that, was even more than the vinyl, which is, I think, is for convenience only. But I think a lot of people buy vinyl for keepsake purposes as well, just because it's like, I know personally as a music collector, I love looking at, you know, the 12-inch sleeve and seeing all of the intricacies in the artwork. Yeah, that's. I think that's absolutely a huge reason why vinyl is coveted by people that are not casual music fans, right? I mean, we have to. We gotta. We gotta face it. The majority of the, the majority of population are very casual with their listening. You know, it's top forty on Spotify kind of thing. Um, there's not a huge interest in physical releases in the pop world because you're not making album oriented music. You're, right. you're getting for singles and you know, to, to worm your way into somebody's head for as long as you can. Um, but especially within the metal world, I feel like it's 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 a great place to be if you have an interest in uh, physical merchandise, you know, because it's so much more than just even just vinyls and, and cassette tapes even. You know, there's a lot of uh, added bells and whistles that you can you can use to spice up a physical release. And I think, by and large, metalheads really, really like to see that from artists. Definitely. That's one of my things that, you know, my band has not released a vinyl vinyl copy of anything and it's not because we don't want to it's because it's it's a huge endeavor
never, you know, it's expensive and you have to know if there's a market for it. A collectible for market, sure. an actual fan market, so on and so forth. I think the world of bands who actually will package a download card with their vinyl. Yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to, um, I was talking earlier about needing the time to listen to music. And up until recently, commuting to and from work was really the best opportunity in the day I had to listen. And I don't have a record player in my, my car, obviously. So right. it's it's handy to have the downloads available. You can take those on the go. Yeah, I agree. And now I'm, now I'm wondering if we actually did that with her release. And if we didn't, I, I guess I got to kick my own ass over here a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing I've noticed for the Bandcamp thing. That's an, another another thing I want to, you know, praise Bandcamp for is for anything that they do physically, they give you the option of including the digital release with any physical sale, which is kick-ass it is kick-ass there's just so like, many options yeah and why would why would you gate somebody from downloading the music if they bought the the record you know like it's just kind of it seems kind of silly that you wouldn't include that oh believe me there's there's some people out there that do <laughs> it's a collector's paradise i've grown i've actually gotten addicted to Bandcamp in like a lot in the past year of building also my digital library Oh, yes. Uh, and, like, I'll actually, like, hunt bands down sometimes. If I, like, purchase a cassette through a record label and it doesn't have the download, it'll be like, hey, you mind throwing me the <laughs> code for it? Like, I just purchased this just because, like, I don't know. It, it's like a collector's paradise. That's that's how I see it. Oh, absolutely. And it is a collector's market for anything because on the show here, there's kind of like a couple ongoing gags that, or I call them an ongoing gag because we always talk about how Molly Hatchet uh, <laughs> is a theft by deception band because of the artwork to what's the music is their badass album covers for yeah <laughs> we always we, everybody we that i talk to has badass like power metal album covers we talk about them and the other ongoing thing with the being collector's market is metallica because how many times have they re-released Kill 'em All, Ride the Lightning, Master Justice in remastered form, various versions of vinyl, giant box sets. You know, they're almost the kiss of their generation. It's an interesting way of, of looking at it. Yeah, I never thought of that, but that's, uh, I guess it's just a matter of time until they've got, you know, the, the Lars Ulrich coffin that's only appropriate for people who are like four foot five <laughs> <laughs> and balding. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh! Uh, I think you know. I, I, I dare to say this because I, I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of metalheads maybe not like being called nerds, but let's be real here. There's a real nerdism to the the heavy metal world when it comes to collectibles. You know, that's um, you don't see you know that kind of behavior from the EDM crowd. Let's say no. Right? Like it's there is definitely. I think there it's a combination of a couple things. It's the fact that the releases just look so damn cool, right? I mean, it's the art and everything. There's so much more that you get from the vinyl versus it being, you know, just kind of a generic kind of pop release or something. Oh, but it's also the rev the reverence for the past that metalheads have, you know, and being able to look back and have that piece of, you know, have that, that product that came out at a certain point in 10 years from now, who knows, somebody might uh, blow the dust off ages and be like, yeah, I remember being around when that came out. Right. And I've noticed that even from a local standpoint in my own music scene, bands from 20 years ago that were, you know, peer groups of mine then and just like still listening to a CD copy of something that I had had that's, you know, from high school stuff. And it's just being like, wow, could you imagine what they would be like today if they were still a band? It's that whimsical aspect of it. for sure. Yeah, I think it's the, the bands tend to have more longevity, too. 
You know, like it's uh, there seems to be less volatility as far as bands splitting up and, you know, never talking to each other again. That's I why you, that. you you flick on Keep It True. And it's man, some of these bands, they weren't even a big deal back when they, they came out. It wasn't like they were selling, you know, platinum platinum records and stuff like that. But there's I an audience there that wants to hear them. With right. that stuff, though, it's like it was so competitive back in the day where it was like you couldn't like now we're, we're like we have it so easy as musicians where we could do a release and not leave our living room. <laughs> People just they, they buy it online before you had to tour your ass off. You had to get a record label like. So I, I feel like it was like the road life back then. It's nothing like it is now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, where true. where bands 30 and 40 years ago were absolute road dogs. You know, they had to tour. They had to go out for two to three months at a time and spend a month, maybe only two weeks at home before they went out on their next tour. Now it's quite the opposite where we're spending more time at home uh, recording and writing new music and touring, you know, for maybe two months a year for a lot yeah. of people, if you're lucky. But mm -hmm. And yeah, you're not pulling in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you're pulling in enough to have a comfortable living and a, an amazing following. And you can sure. still have a day job, you know, like there's not a lot of employers that are going to let you, you know, fuck off for two months. Um, so it's, you know, it, it frees you up in that regard too. And of, of course, putting out more content requires more money. You gotta, you gotta earn it somehow. Exactly. And I've, preach this on the show until I'm blue in the face, but you know, I, I am one of those people that believe content is king. The more songs and material you have uh, recorded and released to where people can buy every single album, you know, 10 albums, you know, whatever of music, that's where your money's going to come from. Yeah. It's like you're a fisherman with a net, you know, are you going to throw out a net that's the size of a dime or throw a massive net out into the Harbor and, so-and-so is going to grab onto this, grab onto that. But either way, you've always got lines in the water. Exactly. Where people can support your music in some way. Absolutely right. It's all a net. So real quick, let's take a break. We're going to come back. Let's talk about the writing process for Possessed Steel. Since 1973, Tattoo Charlie's has been an established body modification studio in Kentucky. Featuring world-renowned artists and piercers, currently with locations on Preston Highway and in Lexington. A staple point in the tattoo community. Learn more at TattooCharlie's.com. Set up your appointment today at 7904 Preston Highway. Our tattoos are done while you wait. Hey, it's Mark Maxwell at Maxwell's House of Music. Listen, all this stuff is now available to purchase on our website. Check it out at Maxwell'sHouseOfMusic.com. We carry all the top brands, like Fender. We got Gibson. We also have basses. We've got ukuleles. We've got drums. We've got sound gear. We've got keyboards. Let's change gears a little bit. In the writing process here, you guys are all in the Toronto area. When it comes to writing, do you all do it, quote, the old-fashioned way, where you just get in the room and hammer shit out, or do you... Do you do it like a lot of these other bands today where it's it's more of like a digital medium where you're sitting at home, you're you're hammering out a guitar riff or a bass riff or even a vocal melody and saying, hey, guys, listen to this and sending it to them direct message. Have we ever done that? I don't think we have. I think know? it's um, yeah, we're not we're not as savvy as, you know, like I've um, I know friends bands, they'll even they'll, they'll do entire demos of songs. 
and record them and um, even, you know, use things like Guitar Pro to lay down all of the parts and kind of collaborate that way. Um, that's especially true when you get band members that don't live in the same area. Um, but I think we're we're kind of a combination of both. Like we, there's a lot that we do in rehearsal to fine tune songs. And sometimes, you know, a single riff or a single idea is enough to light the fire at rehearsal and prompt everybody to weigh in and, and wrangle a song out of it. And uh, in some cases, it's, it's you know, the, the songs are more complete when you come to rehearsal. I, I find generally if I'm writing a song, I like to, uh, I prefer to have more of it kind of together and then just table it. And from there, you can hack and slash and change it every you'd like. But I, I like coming in with more of a complete song. But I know for a lot of songs we've written that uh, it's just kind of been pieced together at rehearsal. Yeah, I'd say I'm pretty opposite of like you, Steve, in that sense. And like even, I don't know, what's like with, how do you approach bass stuff don and just you've been Everything, around how would you say the process is normally i uh you guys will come up with something cool or you'll have ideas and it'll take me like weeks to actually learn the song because it's getting more and more complicated these days so. Yeah. <laughs> right. so like when i like take it home i just basically keep trying to figure out what you guys are doing a lot of the time and then i get it and then I'm like, oh, cool. And from that point, I'm like, maybe now I can do a thing that's like neat over it or like on top of it or something. But I basically like I like to like nail basically the the basics, I guess, just so I know what I have to build on. And then from there, I'll like throw little things in. But yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Actually, I've noticed you'll you'll sort of you just kind of silently watch. And then one day it'll just be like, boom. And then sometimes you just it, yeah, around. it'll take a while sometimes, like especially with some of these, I don't know, the more technical stuff we've done, even on the, the CD there, like, you know, it'll take, yeah. it'll take a while. But then when we get it, we're like, oh, neat. OK, now it sounds awesome. It, and now we can kind of trail off. If we it's want always to. great when you get the uh, you can start seeing the donisms come into a song, right? Where you can you can it's, it's clear that you you know the roots of the chord changes and you, you can follow along with the, the song structure and all that. But when you start coming in, like if you listen to uh, Skeleton King, I know those occur in kind of the, the verses. Um, Horn of the Black oh. Unicorn, you know, all the little the riffs that you play kind of while we're, we're supporting underneath. Spellblade's the same. Um, that's, I love that stuff, you know, and I think that's that's something that's really important to the band as a whole is that it's not, the focus is not on the guitars. You know, it needs to be more equal and collaborative. And uh, every everybody gets a chance to to do their thing and, and show off their skills and yeah uh, yeah like Don writes some killer stuff. I mean overall, I think we're all pretty like respectful. I know we've spoke about this before, but I can't remember when or with who. But like we're respectful of each other's like kind of boundaries and like not to be you know I'm gonna I don't want to do like some stupid just showy shit for like five minutes. You know you right. gotta like fill and like let the other guys do you know what they're gonna do good. Yeah, it's the dynamic yeah, aspect of it. Yeah. yeah. You gotta have yeah. dynamics and and no ego, because if you're if the ego's there, then you you'd be uh, like Derek Smalls, a lead bass player. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, which which this guy's absolutely capable of doing all the all that stuff. It's it's interesting, you know. It's like it's I don't think any one musician in the band would would be called like a virtuoso per se. You know, none of us are like these prodigal talents on our instruments where um, I feel like that can tend to lend itself to egotism, right? Like, you know, you're going to have like an Yngwie in the band. All of your songs are going to be just very guitar oriented. I'm definitely a virtuoso. I just choose not to play anything (laughs) other than the pentatonic scale. I just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make anybody jealous. Oh, yes. (laughs) 
it's uh it's just good that way i think everybody it's not like it, we're all it, there's no slouches either everybody's very competent in what they're what they're doing uh but it's just i feel like it's it's very collaborative because you don't have any one person with a big ego trying to domineer the songwriting process or, or what we're going to do for any given song definitely what inspires your music that's that's a that's a loaded that's a big one that's a big one mark (laughs) i I know it's 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 a deep question especially with you know three of you on here because everybody comes from a different background of something like that yeah okay how about we can we can all three of us will go with this i'll try to make mine quick i think a lot of what inspires me so much of it is everyday life and sometimes i'll just look at a situation in a different perspective or I'll listen to a song and that song inspires me immensely. A story right now I'm reading through the Lord of the Rings again, and I'm feeling extremely inspired by that. And sometimes I'll see an old man smoking a pipe on a bench and I'm like, wow, then that'll take me off somewhere. So I think I I just sort of, mostly it's rooted in fantasy for me. And that's where I like to, to bring it all back to. But I think in order to write any good fantasy, you have to have sort of a, a grasp of the real world. And that's kind of what inspires myself. Right on. Don, what, what inspires you, man? You're up next. Know. You know, like, <laughs> Talon's answer was so cool. I'm not sure. If I, can... <laughs> I mean, I grew up, like, with fantasy. I love, you know, the whole genre. And like Talon mentioned, Lord of the Rings. And I love those movies and books and all that kind of stuff. But, like, music-wise... I don't know, since I was a kid and like started playing bass, it's just been it's always been a fun thing. And I used to associate it more and more like, you know, growing up it would just be like a thing to do on the weekends and like, you know, drink a bunch of beer and go like to a rehearsal studio. For the last ten years with this band, it's been like we still drink beers, obviously, but it's not just like a uh, let's go get fucked up and, you know, cover Pantera songs or whatever. Let's try and do something fun and like, you know, these guys, Talon and Steve are songwriters and it's just awesome to like be a part of the whole process and to be doing something I've like always liked doing and just with, you know, great musicians. I don't know. I'm trailing off here, but no, I think I, I, get, I, think I get what you're saying with that is yeah. you love seeing the process of it. Yeah. It's super cool to be a part of like, not just, you know, it's still a hobby, you know, obviously, but like, it's more than that than it was like 15 years ago. You know, like it's something that like you can look on and be like, wow, we did this. This is cool as hell. For sure, man. Definitely. That's great. I got maybe a bit of a different take on, um, you know, because I agree with what the other guys are saying, um, but just really quickly, I, when it comes to source of inspiration, uh, you know, I, I'm a big film guy. You know, I've, I've watched a lot of movies, a big fan of film. Uh, I spent a lot of time watching them. And I think a huge part of my enjoyment of those is is, our, is the sounds and the music that enriches the visual information that you're seeing. And I think when you, you, heavy metal lends itself to this pretty strongly because the lyrics are very imaginative when we're talking about fantastical themes and what have you. And uh, I think, you know, I can envision these scenes in my head and I imagine what kind of music I'd want to hear if, if I was watching a movie. And I, I find like time and time again, if I've got writer's block, if I'm stuck, I just try to visualize a scene that I can write some music to. Because music's music, right? Whether it's Hans Zimmer, you know, with a string, uh, like an entire string section putting music to film or it's distorted guitars plugged into martial amps. It's, you know, it's just different ornamentation. But fundamentally, we're pretty providing a soundscape that's going to complement the, the visuals you're going to think about in your mind. Right. Because it's, you know, it's the whole th- thought process behind everything. For sure. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think there's, as far as visual information, I think that's uh, in metal, it's a lot easier and more fun to envision kind of the, the scenes that you're, that spur from the lyrics that you're listening to. Right. And I think our, a lot of um, the album artwork comes from that. And I've always, and stage show, 
because I've always yeah, been hundred percent. I've always sit there and said, you know, the difference between a a great local band and a great regional slash national band is it's not necessarily the music quality. It's the the stage show and the visual that goes with it. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I would definitely agree with that. Bands because, that have the whole package take it all over. Yeah, you know? because you can go to any pub and see, you know, five dudes on a stage just hammering out some metal tunes. But you add a, a special light show, uh, a special stage presence, like a stage prop or anything like that, uh, or great visual uh, backdrops, and it and it completely changes the demographic for that band. Yeah, I, I agree. I know that just um, as a band, that's something that we want to we want to tap into more of. You know, especially now that we have a an album like Adris, which is a story, um, and there are some some very tangible kind of things that we could bring into a stage show. I think that's something that we want to do more of. Is oh, try yeah. to be more, you know, try to be more thematic uh, or theatric. I guess the word I'm looking for. Definitely. Now is the time of the show where I'm going to introduce some personal questions because you know. With the pandemic era, you know, we've all been told that, you know, we're all in this together, right? That we're all people. We all, uh, you know, we help each other out as much as we possibly can. So I like finding out what makes people tick personally, what what they're into on a personal level, not necessarily a music deal, but just in general. So I have some listener submitted questions along with some that I put in there. And right on. we'll see what, what you all have to say about this. This is the, the possessed steel take of general <laughs> questions. Oh, man, we're in the hot seat now, boys. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's your first concert? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I've... <laughs> I'll go first, I think. Yeah. Go for it. It was, uh, it was Green Day, and I think I was 11 years old. And it was in Mississauga at the Hershey Center, which I think is a hockey rink. I can't even remember. But, yeah. It was, it's it was so Canadian. Day. Yeah, all right. I loved it. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> so loud. Oh, Not a man. cool answer though. Dude, no, I wish cool. I. I'm like, I can't even picture it. I, I want to say something really cool. Like, I actually, it might actually be Motley Crue, but it also could have been some 41. Like, outside of the much, much music. <laughs> I, I, I've got something even, uh, even stupider here. The first concert <laughs> I ever saw was a band called the Rainbow Butt Monkeys. Finger I up. kid you not. And that's right. Yeah, they eventually yeah. became Finger Eleven, um, and that is a, a fairly mediocre Canadian alternative rock band. Right, right. right. <laughs> Yo, they did that song "Slow Chemical" though. That was, that was Kane's theme song. That was yes, a cool song. that's right. Yeah. Now, was- early early on, they were pretty good. They they were bringing the goods after they ditched the Rainbow Butt Monkey title. Um, but then, you know, I, I know they they kind of went the route of Aerosmith, right? Like as they as they were around longer, they just started getting into more balladry and yeah. stuff that's just not doesn't have any swagger. I can speak to that. I, I love that band. Their first like three CDs were I thought pretty awesome for like a Canadian rock band, right? Right. Then, they they had some good stuff. Yeah, I yeah. I won't take that away from them. Those some of those early records like Tep were uh, those were good records. Yeah, they kind of yeah. Uh, not the not the answers I was expecting out of that. You know, I mean, none of it's metal, <laughs> right? Right, none of it's metal. But you know, I think uh, bands like Green Day. You know, especially from you know somebody who is I'm in my late 30s, so they they were definitely like Dookie came out when I was about 12 years old. So yeah, that, that album is huge, right? And I think they're they're a gateway drug band. Or like when I was 12, I heard something like that. And then it's just like, well, what's heavier? What's heavier? <laughs> and now I'm Black Sabbath. And 
<laughs> you know, I'm into all that yeah, stuff. So sure. yeah, I get it. I get it completely. It's, music's music in that way where it's like, I mean, now that I'm actually thinking about it, I do actually think it was some 41 and, and back then it was like some 41 was the heaviest shit. And then, then I don't know that band three days grace came on and I was like, Oh, that guy's got an even more distorted guitar. And it's like, you're just looking for <laughs> attitude basically when you're that young or like someone to even understand you when you're a teenager. Right. And it seems like these people are so pissed and fuck this. Like this girl doesn't want to talk to me. It's like, damn, I can relate to that. But then as you go on and go on, you hear Metallica, which is just, it shatters everything. And then now it's hard to listen to those bands, but everybody has to start somewhere. Absolutely. What is your biggest regret? Oh boy. Like musical or like day-to-day fuck-ups? <laughs> anything. Anything you think would, would your biggest regret in uh, you know, if you could you could give me a music one, you could give me a day-to-day fuck-up. I, I can I can chime in here. I've got a pretty, I, I don't really, I'm not a big believer in regrets. Um, I know that just sounds like some cliche motivational speaker shit, but it, it really, nothing, you gain nothing from regretting things, right? Like it, it at best, it guides your actions moving forward, but you can do that without ha- harboring any kind of regret. Having said that, when I went to school after after high school, I went and studied political science and international affairs and all this fancy-dancy shit, and I really wish I had done my um, post-secondary education in music. I should have just, just got my bachelor's in music. That's a good one. Because ultimately, right it, on. it didn't matter, right? It, it didn't matter what you went to school for after high school. Uh, mostly went to college and got specific job training. But an undergrad degree, like, who the hell cares? Just do whatever you want. I, I really wish I had done music. I could relate to that. Yeah, I mean, that's a... I could basically say the same thing, because it's, like, the one thing that I still do that I'm, like, maybe I should have, like, focused more on music instead of whatever I went to school for, too, right? Because it's the same shit. Yeah. That's that's good. Honestly, I don't even know. Is it weird that I, I regret nothing? No. No, man. It's, you, you just got your head screwed on straight. Every time, every time I think of something, like I've done a lot of really dumb shit in my life. I cannot stress that enough. I've had a weird, just a, I, everybody's done dumb shit, but every time I think of it, I'm like, ah, but that led to this and that led to that. So do I regret it? I don't know. I used to write stories when I was really small. And I remember they were, I don't know, I was eight, 10 years old or something. And I wrote a lot. There was like two or three years where I would just write stories, write stories. They were fantasy stories and just ridiculous. But I kind of maybe wish I would have stuck to that or started started drawing earlier because now I'm getting into drawing and I realize I just suck. So I can see something in my head and I can't draw it and that's been pissing me off. So maybe doing something more creative, more steadily earlier on would be my answer. Right on. Yeah. Uh, this is probably going to be the hardest question, so I'm going to go ahead and get it out of the way. Denim or leather? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Denim. What, what, you know what? I'm a vegan now. I can't say leather. Oh, but That's fair. That's, that, uh, that, okay, that makes it easy. That's like the... Leather's yeah. very durable, though, and it looks fucking badass. So, leather. Leather is my answer, but I'm a vegan. But leather's... <laughs> they get vegan leather. Yeah, they do, but it sucks. It's like... Plastic. It's not the real deal. It's, it's plastic. It sucks. It's, it's like not durable. I don't know. Leather's just, it's so cool. A material of the land. Denim's cool, but. I'm, I, I, there's, there's no argument here. I'm hellbent for leather. Yeah. Leather all the fucking way. Nice. Nice. Who do you wish you never saw live? Who do I wish I never actually went to see live? Yeah. And it doesn't oh, it doesn't necessarily have to be because you don't like the band. Uh, it could have been an issue where. They just didn't do it live for you. You that you could still be a fan, but like the performance kind of ruined it. 
<laughs> oh god, I've got. Or if I got a bit of a funny answer for this. Suck because you were forced to go to something. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm going through like the Rolodex in my head. Yeah, it's um, I. As soon as you asked the question, I immediately thought of what my answer would be. So I feel like to to not go with that would be a, a betrayal to myself. Um, <laughs> but I I went and saw I you know really the, the guy that kind of got me into wanting to play guitar was Slash. Um, and it's certainly not the case anymore. Like I don't, I don't really listen to or, or follow his career much. Um, and I'm not saying that this is because of seeing them live, but I remember when I went to see the, at the time, the only chance I could see him was the velvet revolver. Oh, and I just, the show just sucked. I remember Scott <laughs> Whalen is like strung out on whatever cocktail of fucker he had, had going on at the time. And he's just wailing into a megaphone for half the show. And the most underwhelming thing about it was Slash is like three feet tall. And now I'm like, now I know why he wears the hat. He's tiny. Like, it's just such an underwhelming presence on a stage. And it was just like, I thought I would really dig it. And the whole thing just came off like a wet fart. Right. <laughs> I pray to God that Slash never actually listens to this. I, but whatever. I, I just, I got to be honest. That that was the one show I remember leaving and just being like, you know what? I think I'm going to check out some other guitar players. It's almost more badass that Slash is small because it's like the Dio thing. It's like, holy shit. That's that's fair. But Dio, Dio brings like the operatic performance to, you know, like it's almost part of his deception, right? You look at this tiny little guy and the next thing you know, he's belting up the best goddamn metal vocals that ever were. Right. Whereas, uh, I don't know, like Velvet Revolver is a band, just even the even the, the tunes weren't that great. So I think it was just not a good, I wanted to see like late 80s Slash and I got kind of early 2000s, not so great Slash. I, I saw the Snake Pit live. And oh, yeah. That would be better, I feel. Snake Pit would be good. <laughs> no, actually, it really wasn't that good. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> the best part of the show, honestly, and I'm not a Guns N' Roses fan. I mean... Okay, I am not a huge Guns N' Roses fan. I, certain songs I will not turn off once they come on, but some of them immediately change the station. That was probably the highlight of that set was when he did like Mr. Brownstone and Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's the thing with GNR is they had one really good record and one really kind of crappy double album, and that's it. You know, like I, I yeah. think Night Train is their best song, and that's that's it you know that that first record every song is really really good and then you wonder why they ever did a, a double album for use your illusion it's like this this could have been one album of fairly consistent stuff instead right. we got this spread of mediocrity absolutely i would say there's probably maybe in a personal opinion here i would say that there's maybe a handful of songs on the second part of that that are actually any good at all and that yeah it's a like garden of eden that's it right uh, i mean like the the alternate lyric version of like don't cry uh, you know that's not needed on there civil war's not bad but like the, yeah, the first half of that good. the first half of that album my my favorite is uh perfect crime actually so yeah yeah there's that's a that's a good one i mean it's not it's not completely without merit it's just kind of i know we're we're kind of going down the gnr rabbit hole here but right. um I wonder, i've had this these opinions for a while and i haven't been able to talk about it for some time <laughs> i wonder if like that was because appetite for destruction did like so well yes yeah i think that pressure was definitely it, a factor like, they had to do it like pressure and then i wonder if like egos got inflated i mean no oh, hell yes oh really egos got oh. inflated <laughs> it, look, look at axel dude like, maybe somebody else like who who was doing all the songwriting on there was that like did they all bring it to the studio i'd be interested to read the liner notes did axel this write is, all or he did a lot of uh axel took to the piano for that second record and i think mm -hmm. one of the biggest issues is 
the loss of Izzy Stradlin. He's yeah. the guy that, you know, he's the dude that wrote a lot of those great Maximum classic R-R. rock and roll songs. You know, like the guy had that kind of, he'd really tapped into the late seventies rock thing. And I don't think the other guys had as good of a handle off of it as he did. Right. Don, what do you got, man? Like we've been talking about GNR for so long. I like forgot what the, <laughs> the Yo. a, a band you saw live that let you down. Yeah. The, but let me down. The band yeah. you wish you never saw I got live. A good, I got a good one while Don thinks because this is huge. And there's another honorable mention, which I'm still bummed about to this day. Oh. But um, okay, so I was a massive, massive Ted Nugent fan. So big. He's he's the sole reason I play guitar to this day. Was that late '70s Nugent? And right. uh, I knew he became a little, little too loudmouthy for me. I won't get too into it. Uh, and then I saw him live, and it was it was atrocious. It was so ridiculous. Oh my it was- <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're right. I, I'll agree. He is oppressive live. Oh not, my god! It not was, it was- just from a political standpoint, but from a a loudness standpoint. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was loud as hell. It was cringy. It was like loud. It was really narrow minded. And I knew what I was getting myself into, but I wasn't quite prepared for something of that magnitude. Huge <laughs> back in the day, I thought was so cool man like you look i mean you can go right now look at ted nugent rockaplast 1977 him playing live he's the coolest motherfucker on the planet at that show he's like quiet he's just doing his guitar thing he's fucking insane but then i guess as he started going on anyway and then i, I think my other one was zach wilde i was kind of depressed when i saw him live because mm. he, he like played this solo for like half an hour <laughs> i remember having this conversation with you and sure. laughing my ass off it was so, it's so true. I, I he just abuses the shit out of those shapes. It's like, we get it. You can play that same I fucking know. thing really fast. I was starting to think, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, does he know that this is getting really boring? Because I'm not even kidding. It was like half an hour. And he was just he was just playing like a lick. It was like a kid warming up in their bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, my God. No, you're not wrong on that. <laughs> Which, I'm going to piss a lot of people off with that. And for that, I'm sorry. I think, I think Zach is an amazing player. Well, no, I agree. Don't, don't beat me up, Zach. If we ever ever bump into you. (laughs) Right. Which the thing about it is, no, I agree with you on that. And I mean, he, he lost his gig with Ozzy for a reason, Mm. you know? Yeah. It's a, that's a whole man. That's a subject, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I get it. I get it. A hundred percent. Like Zach was another big hero of mine early on. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's just, he, some guitar players, they, they hit a plateau and they stop evolving. They, uh, they don't, you know, their voice doesn't change over the years. You know, like you look at a guy like Jeff Beck versus Eric Clapton, you know, and Eric Clapton just kind of stayed the same and arguably got worse over time. Whereas Beck just has just continued to get better and better and do new things. And I think that's the problem with Zach, you know, like he, I listened to stuff he was doing back in the no rest for the wicked era with Ozzy. And he was, he was like more creative then. Like he was more melodic. Well, he was also like 19. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Age, age. It's, it's a thing, right? We can't, we can't deny that it has a, a huge influence on what you're doing as a musician. I feel like instead of like writing things that are cool, you, you just get so good at your instrument that at some point you're just displaying your ability to play your instrument. And you're sort of not even worrying about songs to write anymore. Right. The the virtuoso gear kicks in. Yeah, and it's 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 cool that you can play that stuff, but wouldn't it be cooler if you gave us about a 15-second snippet of that in a song to leave people wanting more? The last thing, you you don't want to leave people being like, okay, that's enough. I want to be like, whoa, that was sick. Like that little yeah. switch painkiller that Glenn Tipton does. 
he does like that little sweep at that like the third half of the song or whatever to this day i'll like put on that song just to listen to that shit right oh i i i get it so do you have uh, one don i do it took me this long to <laughs> nice but i did remember one um i'm a huge mastodon fan but i saw them like i've only seen them twice and the first time i saw them was probably like i don't know 12 or 15 years ago i guess when they were like right after blood mountain came out they were opening for ozzy or not ozzy sorry iron maiden and they just like the vocal and I know this is a thing about that band. I guess like they've struggled with their live singing for a while, maybe, but like they suck. And like, I'm like, I could barely recognize like words that they were singing. And that was kind of off putting. Mm. Was it, but, was it from a mix standpoint or? I think it's just like they struggle to like reproduce their, mm. okay. like their vocals live, right? Cause there's like, now they're good. Cause they've got like, I think everyone sings in that band now, but at the time, <laughs> I think it was. Like, it was just a bass player, and I love when bass players are, like, you know, frontmen, or, like, they sing a lot of the songs. I've always dug that, so, like, but they just could not cut it. And, like, I've seen, like, many live performances, like, online, and, like, it kind of looks like it's the same shit, which at this I point is cool, because you're like, oh, whatever, these guys know it, and they don't give a fuck, and, like, it's still... They just go with it. I think they have such an intricate sound. And when you're doing things like, you know, like playing banjo rolls on a heavily distorted electric guitar, the intricacies and nuance of what they're doing gets, just gets lost, especially if you're in a big arena. Oh, I agree with you 100% on that. But real quick, let's take a break. Let's come back. Let's get into some more questions. Hey, guys. Wrestling Steve of the Wrestling Steve Show here. Uh, so if you're currently listening to the Metal Forge with Mark Jackson, then you understand that Mark Jackson has a pretty discerning taste when it comes to music as a whole. You'll also understand that he has a discerning taste for professional wrestling, just like me. The, my show is called The Wrestling Steve Show. Uh, I talk about modern and classic pro wrestling in a completely unbiased, unfiltered way. Be sure to check me out on all available podcasting platforms. That is The Wrestling Steve Show, and I am the host, Wrestling Steve. Just remember, uh, like, like Confucius said, uh, man who goes through turnstile in Thailand uh, is going to Bangkok. Pro Wrestling! Hey everybody, thank you for tuning into the Metal Forge this week. I really appreciate every last one of you that listens. But before I go any further, I do want to tell you that we do have a Patreon page here. And there's three tiers. There's the Dion and $30 tier. If it's just a buck, hey, you're not going to miss a buck. Nobody does. Then there's the $5 Showstoppers tier which you get a patch, stickers, whatever we have that's in that price range. And then there's the $20 a month master, where you can get a t-shirt, any size, any color of the Metal Forge logo. Fuck yeah, that's awesome stuff. Oh, and by the way, if you donate on there, guess what? You get the show two days in advance from everybody else. Thank you all so much. It's patreon.com slash metalforgeradio. Check it out and donate today. I love you guys. Thank you. What album changed your life? Ooh. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm going to have I... to just go with what I just thought of immediately, and that would have probably been the Black Album by Metallica, I would say. Funny you say that. I was going to say Master of Puppets. <laughs> really? That's so much cooler. But <laughs> They're both like the same amount of cool, I think. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, they really are. Not I... super, but like, I don't know. They're... No, honestly, I think Master of Puppets is way cooler. I just... I got into that after. I think I don't even know when the Black Album came out. It must have been. It was after Justice. It was, so it was August of ninety one. August of ninety one. Okay, so I was probably maybe ten, eleven. 
but I remember I just got my own room in the attic and I got the stereo system and I was just listening to Injustice for All, the Blizzard of Oz, which could be right up there too. Mm. Uh, it was a, maybe not, or the Oz Man Cometh. I don't know. It was one where he's like on the floor with a cross. And like, oh, that's uh, Diary of Madman, I think. No, it wasn't Diary no, of Madman. No, that's Blizzard. That's Blizzard of Oz. That's Blizzard, Blizzard of that's Oz. Blizzard. He's got the red cape on and all that. Yeah, yeah, so those two albums, though, I remember just blasting them, and that was the coolest thing ever. And I became obsessed with Metallica after that and Ozzy, and I would say that that really started me going. Yeah, I mean, I would like, I think Master of Puppets, or maybe it was Ride the Lightning, I don't know. But, like, I bought the base tab book for Ride the Lightning, and, like, I'm like, oh, this is so cool, because now I can, like, play exactly like Cliff Burton played on the record, right? Even though like, yeah. I couldn't, but, like, I just... That's what I wanted to play like, and his bass player. Actually, I didn't know that existed. So like, yeah, there was some like you know before the internet was like as widely around. I guess with like music tabs and shit. I'm like, I want to play like Cliff Burton. So how do I do that? Because I couldn't do it by ear then, because I was like you know new, right? But and uh, sure. and it's like so fast too. But like, I mean, that's basically I think to this day why I play bass the way I do mostly because like that's what I wanted to do, and I got that like I can play fast, and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Cool as fuck. And then you adapted your style to, to. I guess so. I must have done my own shit at some point. But like that was kind of you know like as a kid, you know, I saw like the first concert was Green Day or whatever. And then you're like Talon or Steve mentioned like in high school, you're like, oh yeah, Metallica's fucking awesome. And then I'm like, oh, this is who I want to play like. And from there, I just kind of like kept going. I guess and there's only there's only so many bass virtuosos they can really pull from. And Cliff is you know doing like lead stuff and oh, he was, you you yeah. definitely got that down, man. Like I I do hear a lot of Cliff that you're playing. Master was mine i guess just for that reason right on i'm gonna take a bit of a different twist on it um because this this is a tough one you know like i it's hard to say because I, I feel like sometimes i'll listen to it all and be like this is changes everything and then i'll listen to another album two weeks later and this changes everything <laughs> and those epiphanies just kept happening and happening uh to to kind of lead me to to my my proclivities today as a music listener but i think i think i'm gonna say uh don't break the oath by merciful fate Ooh. And I'm going to say that I'm going to say that record because that was the first metal album, you know, there for a time as a metal fan, I was really just stuck in the the rut of listening to a lot of the, you know, the kind of common stuff that that people know when you're when you're into metal, right? Like the big four thrash bands and you yeah. know, it expanded at <laughs> Well, sure, you know, like you know, you know the deal. Like you, you kind of, you know, I got I was into some of the traditional metal bands um early on like Judas Priest and, and Dio and, um, or Rainbow even early on but I think when, it, when I first listened to that Merciful Fate record that kind of started me down the path of really taking the exploration of this of this genre seriously you know and actually taking the time to dip my foot into the different subgenres um do my research look up what the seminal records are and and kind of get away from just the same you know 30 to 40 metal records that I'd listened to for many many years um and that that was really like in my early 20s it took a long time to get to that point and realize that holy shit while the 90s absolutely sucked in North America you had all this amazing second wave black metal going on oh yeah um you know and there's there's a whole european scene that i i completely i had never listened to any of the tetronic uh, tetonic thrash records you know like guys by the stuff by destruction and creator and all that but i all of that kind of was kicked off by listening to that uh, that merciful fate record and being like holy crap there's stuff out there that is not only just as good as what i've listened to the first 20 years of my life it's a it's actually a lot better and there's there's got to be more of this out there 
Absolutely. I think the biggest thing that most people into metal really do is, you know, expand upon an idea. And what they do is get into more and more and more. And, you know, I've had some things on here where I have not had a lot of black metal bands or death metal bands that I'd like to expand the Metal Forge on here, like we had talked off the record prior to starting the interview. Yeah, I think, like, even if you're, like, I'm not a blood-in-the-wool death metal guy, and I don't spend a lot of time listening to death metal, but there are some bands in that of that ilk that I just fucking love and listen to a lot, you know, like Morbid Angel and Autopsy, a lot of the early shit. And that's cool, right? Like you don't have to be, you don't have to like all of it uh, necessarily to be a fan of that, that style. Like you can have a couple of bands that you like in any given subgenre, and that that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that, but you got to take the time to explore at least and listen before you get too um, set in stone with your opinions of these things. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Who outside of the band do you lean on to get an objective opinion? Uh, <laughs> there's an obvious answer here. Yeah. Everybody all at once. One, two, three, Tamara. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, but I'm sure you guys also lean on your partners as well. I mean, uh, good point. Like, but, you know, Tamara's been there, like, since the start, right? And, like, yeah. you know, we do a new thing, and she's like, this is cool. Or, like, this part sucks. And I'm like, I buy it. <laughs> you know? Like, I she's, just, she's really good at not sugarcoating her opinion. And sometimes she'll just cut you to the quick. Yeah. And, uh, you know what? That's... That's some tough love. It's good. And it, it is tough love. And she's like, for me, been a huge part of the band. Like, I just tell her she's in the band because. And she is. She, yeah. She, she honestly is. Unofficial producer. Yeah, uh, 100%. And she's always like, I'll be sitting there and I'll like, I've got a vocal line that I've been working on. And she'll like, just come home from work or whatever. And I'll be like, okay, check this out. And she's like, mm, no, I don't really like it. You should probably do this here. And it's just like, it sucks to hear. You're like, fuck. But then she'll like put her opinion in. And it's like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. Like, She's very creative and she doesn't sugarcoat it. And yeah, it's, she's been great. Right on. Now, is is it also because she is a musician herself or just is that in tune? She's her, her musical instincts are very good. Uh, She is a musician. She plays piano and she's very, very good at it. Um, She just has good instincts. She, she can listen to melodies and sort of construct them in her head. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, piano players are a wild breed of musician. That's one of my things I wish I knew how to play because I think they think in theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're they're a different breed because they're playing an instrument where all three critical elements are there. You know, you can play harmony. It's a polyphonic instrument. It's um, laid out in a way that doesn't limit you the way that guitar does. You know, like I, I have a love-hate relationship with guitar in a lot of ways. Mm, definitely. It's true. Because it's, you're, you're just, you become a slave to shapes and visual things on the neck because it's a very pattern-oriented instrument that way. And uh, that, that can be a big detriment. You know, it's easy to just play the same shit over and over and get stuck. Whereas on piano, it's, you know, it's a more of a level playing ground. Absolutely. What is something you've always wanted to do, but are not coordinated enough? Play electric guitar. <laughs> oh, come on. You could, you could easily play electric guitar, man. You, you're a bass I mean, player, right? I mean, that's... I'm a bass player, so I got the fun... rhythm. I know, but it's so hard to, like... It's so small. <laughs> My hands are so clunky. Right. I don't know. It's very different. Like, I like playing it, but, like, you know, compared to, like... I, I'm not proficient enough to, like, do anything with it. I can relate to that because I'm a bass player as well. And I'll go back and forth 
and I'll be playing bass and then I'll like, you know, not play it for a few days and I'll pick up the guitar to maybe write a riff and mm-hmm. be like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> that's a real thing. Yeah, it's crazy for sure. That's, that's a good one, actually. Jeez, I don't know. Maybe like I've always wanted to play the harp, but that shit scares the shit out of me. Yeah, that's a very tough instrument to learn. I honestly very, don't think very I actually be corded. Maybe I could, but I think it would be a bit exhausting to learn something like that. Yeah, because it's it's one of those instruments that's you're just plucking strings. The harp is the one where you're like sitting behind it, right, and using both arms. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Every string is a different pitch. So it becomes very difficult to stay abreast of what pitch, you know, like what each string is. That's insane. It's so great sounding. And it's like, do I need a room to play the harp as well? (laughs) Yeah, with, with, you know, with plinths and fountains and shit like that. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Venus de Milo statue in there. Yeah. You you need like... The gummy version. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You need like uh, old marble statues, uh, columns. Okay, I'm getting a room this sounds fucking sick <laughs> it's funny because i guess it's we're all talking about instruments that we'd like to play but yeah, that's but that's sort of where my this is where my my mind went as well now i can tell you that from actual experience i suck at skateboarding i know i know talent here is a, a very good uh very good when it comes to skateboarding but i really wanted to be good at it and i uh started in early high school and i just i just fucking sucked i've got a big scar on my forehead to, to prove it Um, just because I was was too gangly, you know, like I've got this Jack Skellington build and my center of gravity is all out of whack. So I just, skateboarding just destroyed me. I'll say this quickly. I could, I could spin a triple heel flip, but I could not land it unless I was holding onto a fence. (laughs) (laughs) That's better than I did. I get it. That's dope. I get it. A hundred percent. All right. I've got one more question, but before we get into it, how can people go out and find Possessed Steel? How can they buy albums? How can they follow you guys? I would say, how can they find us? We have YouTube, Instagram. Our Instagram's pretty active, but I would say Bandcamp is probably the hub for everything. And our Facebook page seems to be pretty active because there's kind of nothing better than Facebook right now. And it's weird because Facebook sucks. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> there's kind of nothing that has replaced it for bands yet. Instagram doesn't really allow you to do the things that Facebook does, but Instagram's quickly becoming more popular. So it's sort of a toss up between Facebook and Instagram and obviously Bandcamp. Definitely. And as always, you know, there are links in the description below. So anybody listening today can go down below, click the links. You can get to their Instagram, their Bandcamp, their Facebook, so on and so forth. Also, do you have any shout outs you want to give to anybody? Uh, yeah, I'll give a quick uh, couple shout outs, just some quick ones. I would like to probably shout out Joel Kazmi for making this record beast. He really spent a lot of time. He was very patient. Uh, he had some good input. So yeah, shout out to Joel Kazmi at 11 Hertz Music Studio. I forget what the whole name of it is, but it's cool. And uh, Anik. And Francois, Temple of Mystery, for taking us on and being super creative. And Annick was a part of designing the layout of the vinyl and the CD. Uh, she made it really cool. Shout out to Annick and Francois. Awesome. And I'll give a shout out to Tamara because she rules. She's helped a lot. And I don't know, <laughs> Steve and Don. I mean, you. Yeah, much, I think you, you summed it. up. Uh, you summed up a lot of it. I, I you know, I just like to send a shout out to uh, my partner Melissa, who was very supportive uh, through the album, um, the process of putting that all together, and. and you know, keeping spirits up 
Um, but also I'd like to just tip my hat to our friends over in Smolder. There's another Canadian metal band. They were, they've been really supportive of the band. I know that Sarah has been really great as far as, um, you know, giving us some, some tips on how to navigate the album release and all that. And, uh, they're good. They're good people. Yeah. Sarah helped us a lot. That's true. Hell yeah. yeah. And the final question of the day, what is the worst album by your favorite band? Oh yeah. Oh man. I like these questions, but they're, they're not easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, you know, I always say that's why we hit, I have the, uh, hard hitting questions here, but you know, I'm just, like I said, I'm just interested in, you know, if everybody thinks St. Anger sucks. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I thought of that instantly, but I was like, ah, I've got to think something better than that. Yeah, I thought of the other obvious one, uh, the Megadeth risk, which is pretty shit, but I also oh. read an article about that last night. So it's like fresh in my mind. Right. Cause that one really did kind of suck. Um, I thought. Yeah, it, I, I can't even picture it. But oh yeah, it's like it's it's so right offable and laughable, you know, for a meta CD. Depending uh, on which version you get, is the uh, the cat looking through the mouse hole or the mouse on the trap? <laughs> I did not even know. I guess that's like the remaster, right? Like one of them or whatever. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure which. I can't remember which is which, but I know one of them is a, is a cat looking through the uh, the hole in the for the for the mouse, and the other one is a mouse caught on a trap. Ugh, those idiots. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the one that comes to mind, but like, I'm sure there's more. Right. Uh, so you're geez, saying Megadeth know. is your favorite band? Well, I wasn't like, I was going to ask that question. Yeah. Like, worst have, album by your favorite band. Like worst album by your favorite band. By my favorite band. Or, I don't know then. Megadeth isn't my favorite band, but like. That's definitely their worst album. I get it. Definitely. Choice. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have like a few favorites. Sure. It's definitely, it's got to be like probably Snakes and Arrows by Rush. I didn't like mm. that album at all. I, I'm a big Rush fan. Yeah, it's not great. Ah, uh, man, I don't know. I really like Bruce Coburn, but he's produced so much shit. I don't even need to like mention that. I only like some of his first <laughs> But it's a Canadian shout out of sorts, you know, even though we're going to crap on him a little. I know you like him so much, Talon. I downloaded his discography. I'm like, oh, there's some good stuff in here. But I'm also like, there's so much like weird shit. That there's so like. honestly, just listen to like his first four or five albums, and okay, he'd be pretty good. But yeah, I don't know. Probably um, Snakes and Arrows by Rush or like Clockwork Angels. Ooh, okay, yeah. Uh, just not really into those. I liked I liked uh, a lot of Rush's earlier stuff, which is cliche. They've been cool, but I don't know. They just took a weird turn that wasn't for me. Understandable. Yeah, they they did make a, a massive turn around the mid mid 2000s, you know, 2005, 6, 7. Yeah, it instantly just became so uninspired and bland in my opinion. I'd probably be crucified by Rush fans, but I just don't think it holds even a remote candle to be put up against some of their greater works. Right. And I was kind of bummed because like their lineup hasn't changed. And that's what kind of depresses yeah. me the most. Usually I'll cut bands some slack if it's like, ah, well, it's just the singer left or like the original guitarist. It's You can't expect them, but it's just the same three dudes since the pretty much the beginning. Not, I, I think, what was the guy named John Rutsey on drums? Yes, for the first um, album. For the first, yeah. And then it was Neil, Neil Peart after that, or Peart, right. as he liked to be called. Um, 
I think the thing with Rush is they had taken so many extensive breaks from the late 90s on. And I think that's where they had just drastically changed. Because you listen to some of, like, the Getty solo stuff. And it's, you know, it's probably more Rush than Clockwork Angels was Rush. That's true, actually. That's true. Which is which is interesting because Neil wrote all of the lyrical content for Rush. Right. So... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I think since the beginning, like Getty, he was, I don't know. I think we're all masterminds of that band. I can't even do a single call out. Right. But yeah, it, yeah, that's a good point though. I and actually, they, they went through some shit. I actually just bought for the first time all the world's a stage this past week. So. Oh, nice. That's that documentary, right? Uh, no, I'm talking about the, oh, the, no, that's I, beyond... the, the album. Oh, really? Yeah. The, it's a live album. Uh, it's on the 2112 tour. Fuck, yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah, so total good That's stuff. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're in good you're in good hands there. Oh yeah. Because Rush is fucking killer. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um hmm. I'm thinking about this a little bit. Like, my favorite band of all time is just Priest, but it's really hard for me to say that there's I honestly I find merit in almost all of their records. I don't think it's hard for me to kind of demonize one album. Um, even though there are definitely ones that are, are not as strong as the others, um, but I want I'm gonna I'm gonna twist it up a little bit because another one of my favorite bands is Queensrÿche, and this is an easy one when I look at them because they did the the dastardly deed of putting out an Operation Mindcrime Part Two. Oh yeah, and it is absolute shit. <laughs> it is it is an absolute abomination and an embarrassment to the legacy of the first record. Yes, I agree a hundred percent and. And I'm not the biggest Queensryche fan. Like, I love the original EP and, like, Operation Mindcrime, but, like, I, yeah. The the second, the sequel to an, a sequel to an album is just kind of weird to me. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, don't, don't curse us then if we ever do, like, an Adris part two here. There's <laughs> no way, man. There's no way. Because then it's, it's, like, the thing is, is why would you taint the first part? Right. It's just so, like, even if we were convinced totally that Adris 2 would be amazing, there's yeah. a chance it just kind of sucks. And then the first one, I, I feel like, loses something. Exactly. It's, it's high risk and low return, I feel. Like, it's, yeah, you have to get yeah. tied to your ankle for the rest of your damn life just because you name it something different. It's definitely one of those things where if you have an amazing album and then you do something like that, it does kind of lower the value of its predecessor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like as a big DC Comics fan, every time they have a crisis event, just makes all the previous crises look even stupider. It's just like, <laughs> please stop with these goddamn crises. Right. <laughs> like the like the one that they just paused everybody's books and started a new crises line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they literally just finished one. Right, and then they just started a new one, and like none of the DC fans wanted it. <laughs> no. No, we could we could probably do a whole other interview about that stuff. Oh but, yeah, uh, absolutely. We'll, we'll leave it we'll leave it alone for now, so I don't get too nerdy here. No, absolutely, <laughs> I get it. So, guys, thank you all for coming on to the show. I appreciate it. What? Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. I'm definitely looking forward to you know times when shows come back, and hopefully you guys can uh, come on tour and come down through the Louisville area because I'd love to see you guys perform live. Yeah, man, that'd be great. So off of. Adris, what would you all want to play out today? I'm easy. I'm easy, man. It's tricky because it's. I, I almost want to say one of the tracks that maybe doesn't get as much love just for fun. Why don't we do Bogs? Yeah, sure. Let's throw some Bogs in there. 
All right, so coming at you right now from Possessed Steel in Toronto, Canada, this is Bogs of Agathon.
Musicians rejoice. Confused with all the modern and technical pedal board selections? Look no further. Kentucky Hot Brown Pedal Boards offer their homemade wooden and custom pedal boards for guitarist and bassist alike. Established in 2013, KYHBPB has helped support not only the local Louisville scene, but a large array of big and small players from across the entire country. More info can be found at KentuckyPedalBoards.com.